Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us here at Midweek, for letting us be part of your day. We appreciate it. Have safe and well, please, please be very careful. We have a lot to talk about on the program today. We, we got into this yesterday, uh, how hard hit really all segments of agriculture are. Some in particular, like the, the pork industry, really being hit hard now with uh, the, the virus hitting some packing plants and those processing plants are being shut down or, or idled for a while. We're going to talk with the past president of the National Pork Producers Council, David Herring, about uh, these hard times for the pork industry and uh, what they hope can be done as far as some assistance for pork producers. Uh, these are also tough times for the ethanol industry. We'll get the latest from Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Um, many ag groups are reaching out to USDA asking for assistance from COVID-19, including the National Association of Conservation Districts. And we'll talk with their president, Tim Palmer, a little bit later on in the program as well. So we have lots going on. Uh, I'm hearing from folks. I'm getting emails, phone calls, people just coming up to me and saying uh, they're very concerned. They're disturbed about uh, seeing that people are going hungry and there are long food lines in places and shortages in places. At the same time, they are seeing and hearing in the news milk being dumped and uh, uh, no place to go with hogs and the real concern about how to make a, a connection here. And there are a lot of efforts underway. There's there's a program getting started, a, a dairy recovery program in Wisconsin. We're going to have more on that coming up tomorrow. Sounds like a really good plan to, to help folks. But there are a lot of other things in the works as well. And a lot of uh, requests to USDA to uh, find ways to to purchase these surplus products and get them to food banks and uh, different feeding programs, perhaps even uh, farmers markets, some of those types of vehicles to get this food to the people who need it. We have demand, we have supply, we just got to hook the two together here. Uh, American Farm Bureau Federation is working on this as well. We're very happy to have with us the Executive Vice President of the American Farm Bureau Federation, Dale Moore. Dale, good to talk with you again. Hope you are well. Thanks for joining us. Uh, it's nice to be with you again, Mike, and always very much appreciate you taking time to help help get the word out to farmers and ranchers uh, all across uh, uh, the country. Because uh, this is definitely uh, not something I, I learned in animal science class growing up. I, this is a different kind of beast we're wrestling with right now. Yeah, it's new for everybody, and we're trying to figure this out. And one of the things that you're looking at at Farm Bureau, how do we get the more food supply into the uh, to the chain to help people in need, like through food banks? So tell us a little bit about the, what you're hoping to be able to get done here. Well, Mike, one of the things that had have popped up, we've been hearing from a number of our uh, you know farmers, livestock producers, and particularly those that deliver to to restaurants, hotels. Uh, convention centers, uh, farmers markets, you know, the, the CSAs, particularly in the urban settings, even to a couple of folks who had customers in the cruise lines. Uh, and like a number of, like you mentioned right at the top, when you started off, how many folks in agriculture are hurting? But we've got a number of folks who've just flat lost their markets. And we're talking with folks at Feeding America and, and also, as you pointed out so accurately, a uh, number of food banks trying to get the food, having folks, you know, folks lined up, uh, trying to get food assistance uh, just to put some on the table, particularly the added numbers of folks who are, who are out of jobs, at least temporarily. Uh, and so 
putting those kind of two and two together, the thought was, well, if we reach out to the secretary and say, here's an idea, uh, secretary and his team, you know, had just stretched very thin trying to cover all of agriculture's bases, but a voucher type program that would enable a food bank uh, to go to a farmer and say, look, here, here's something I can at least uh, cover a pretty good chunk of your cost. Can we make a deal here so that a farmer has a ready market, that food bank's got a ready source of uh, fruits, vegetables, meat, milk, you know, dairy products, et cetera. And uh, our hope is that, that some, some version of that can make its way through. Uh, and I, again, this is one where, you know, we, it's a win-win situation, we think, helping those who need the food uh, help, help put it on the table, but also help the farmers and ranchers, livestock producers that are just uh, out of a market uh, completely. Yeah, I agree. That's, that, that's a win-win if you can hook those two up. The problem is an implementation of something like that, especially when the federal government's involved. Uh, do you see ways to streamline or, or, or move this along because the need is so immediate and we need to get this thing going? Well, that, yeah, that's a very accurate point because there's not time to put together a, a whole infrastructure to manage this, uh, which is why we, we use the term voucher. Uh, but some type of mechanism that where the uh, the federal government, where USDA essentially is is the uh, providing the resource, the funding, if you will, to the food banks to help reach out and get those resources that they need, the food that they need from the farmers. Uh, let the effectively let the the enterprises, uh, the food banks and the farmers, uh, you know, figure out the mechanisms. Because it's a you know almost like a commercial transaction, if you will, uh, or at least a, an economic transaction, uh, and the secretary and his team they can provide the resources, provide the oversight, but uh, they don't have to you know go through the steps to figure out how to put together an infrastructure to manage it. We think between that and you know a number of our state farm bureaus have close relationships with food banks all across the country, and uh, even down to some of our county farm bureaus, uh, particularly in the urban. Suburban areas have very close relationships with food banks and have for years. So we feel like that that, that ability for uh, Farm Bureau and other organizations to make the connection of, of farmers who are in need of a market uh, with those folks who are in need of food to help feed uh, the hungry. So you've reached out to Secretary Purdue. Uh, we're still waiting to hear how they're going to handle uh, assistance and, and relief efforts. Uh, do you, are you expecting a response soon? Uh, we are. Uh, as you know, Mike, and I have talked about this. I'm always a glass half full guy. And as tough as these times are, uh, I believe that, uh, you know, the secretary and his team are working uh, overtime to impact, uh, you know, all of us in agriculture with the provisions that were in the, uh, the last round of the CARES Act. Uh, we certainly haven't gotten many details other than uh, the hints from the secretary that uh, we, we believe by the end of this week we're going to see uh, some response. We did have an opportunity uh, to visit with uh, Undersecretary Greg Ivo uh, about this, this idea on our voucher. Uh, and without giving uh, anything away, he did indicate to us uh, very directly that, that the department was receptive to, to the concept. Uh, what, you know, I've worked in Washington long enough to know that that means that, uh, you know, we did not get rejected out of hand, which I take as a win. Uh, and so now we're just anxious to see what is announced. And 
certainly what we can do to help uh, promote and get the word out across the country. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. Hopefully we'll get some action on this soon. Dale, good to talk with you. Thanks for being with us. Stay safe. You uh, stay safe too, Mike, and thank you for having us on. Take care. Dale Moore, Executive Vice President of the American Farm Bureau Federation. Up next, the President of the National Association of Conservation Districts. They would like some assistance as well from COVID-19. We'll find out what they would like to see and what could help with the conservation effort. That's next on AOA. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no-excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF. That's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. So as we learn each day, COVID-19 really touching just about all aspects of our lives and in ways we just could not hardly have imagined uh, not that long ago. And we are focusing a lot on different sectors of the ag economy, the ag sector, uh, needing assistance, needing help. In our next segment, we're going to focus on the pork industry. But uh, right now, I want to uh, look at uh, the work being done, uh, conservation projects and efforts around the country. Joining us now is Tim Palmer, president of the National Association of Conservation Districts. Tim, thanks for joining us. Hope you're well. So far, so good, Mike. Thanks for the invite. Very good. Uh, All right. So I know that uh, you're hoping that if there's another care package or stimulus package, whatever they want to call it, that Congress uh, approves, that there'll be some uh, help for the uh, conservation districts uh, around the country. Tell us about the the need that's out there and how COVID-19 is even impacting conservation efforts. Well, you know, I just got off of our local district call, which is uh, a conference call rather than an in-person meeting because of uh, a restriction on travel or a restriction on meeting together. Uh, makes it a little bit uh, uh, interesting to make sure you cover all the ground that you need to cover at these at these meetings that are held at, at the local level across the country uh, to make sure the resource concerns concerns are treated. It's uh, it's, it's difficult for our staff to uh, uh, you know they can't have anybody come into the office. That's the USDA directive. They can uh, they can meet with them, uh, but they can't ride to the field and pick up with them. They've got to talk to them across the hood. Uh, uh, there's just a lot of things that. Uh, uh, that that we're doing right now in response to the the pandemic to uh, make sure that we're we're keeping our employees safe and and we've got the uh, you know that we're uh, we're thinking of the producers at the same time. What are you uh, recommending or hoping for in a in another package that may be passed in Congress as in way of help for conservation districts? Well. You know, uh, uh, we just sent a letter to uh, the leaders of uh, of Congress. Uh, uh, you know, the the, the current uh, uh, COVID package, the CARES and uh, uh, FSTRA, uh, which uh, Families First Coronavirus Response Act, uh, have a lot of uh, money that's out there that uh, uh, that'll be coming out there anyway. 
uh, in response to uh, reduced work, uh, uh, reduced uh, opportunities to earn money, different things like that. Um, but uh, non-governmental or, or sub-governmental uh, um, entities like our conservation districts uh, are not included in that. And we think we have the opportunity uh, if they uh, uh, put some more money into uh, uh, another care package that that uh, jobs that have gone away, we have the opportunity to uh, to maybe hire some of those. We can uh, utilize the conservation district outreach programs to help families maybe uh, be involved in protecting their own bit of environment while they're while they're staying at home, the kids are not in school, uh, planting some trees, uh, learning about pollinators. We have educational classes that that are uh, uh, you know um, materials that are available through our conservation or through our national association website. Uh, just a lot of ways that we can we can uh, keep uh, uh, the learning curve going. We can uh, keep the uh, continue to keep the natural resource protection uh, that is so critical for the producers uh, on tap. And uh, and maybe an opportunity to add some very needed ju- uh, jobs, uh, boots on the ground, to make sure that we're treating those re- resource concerns. Yeah, you're also asking for some additional funding for some critical infrastructure investments. Uh, let's talk about some of those programs. Well, um, critical. Um, we have uh, longstanding programs like uh, the EPA three nineteen non point source grants. Uh, those are uh, 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 programs that that have been cut in the past. They're 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 driven by the need for uh, uh, trying to solve a problem, maybe in a small stream that runs through a community or a, or a lake that's been put in maybe back in the 30s uh, uh, in response to uh, uh, the you know the Dust Bowl days and something like that. Those structures are still very important. Uh, the watershed structures that uh, that we have out there, we know that there's a very defined value to them uh, in, in protecting life and and uh, uh, and property from from the mother nature's uh, whims. I guess uh, we went through that last year uh, with the flooding on the on the in the Missouri Mississippi basins, uh, affecting effects that are still going on. Uh, but the watershed program that have uh, that have we, that was funded somewhat in the, well, actually funded fairly well in the last uh, farm bill uh, for rehab, um, helps us upgrade some of those structures and, and make sure that they're ready for uh, doing the best job they can do uh, using today's technology and, uh, and factoring in the, the changes in our weather patterns. We're talking with Tim Palmer, president of the National Association of Conservation Districts. Tim, in this time of so much need out there, are you concerned that the conservation projects and work that you've talked about will kind of be overlooked or, or pushed to the back burner? Very much so, Mike. Uh, uh, you know, if we if we can't get out there, uh, which uh, we're making every uh, uh, avenue available to make sure that we continue to treat the, uh, help the producers treat their concerns, help make sure the, the, the environment is continually upgraded as we move along. This still has uh, we still have that problem with uh, 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 contact with uh, uh, on top of the workload that our USDA and our state and our, and our local district employees are dealing with. Now they can't uh, they can't get together. They can't compare notes. Uh, uh, they're uh, trying to to uh, uh, work remotely, and and that's making it uh, making it difficult uh, uh, 
to, to make sure that we get the work done. Uh, we hope that we can uh, um, have the opportunity to do some more direct hires, uh, add some more dollars into the conservation technical assistance program, which provides jobs and helps support local uh, economies by by hiring those people that uh, that are next door that might uh, need a job to get through this time. A lot of the work you're talking about, which is so important, um, often does get overlooked. But when you think about dealing with floods and, and protecting communities, protecting infrastructure, protecting farmland, productive farmland, uh, all these things are, are, are critical to our country. But uh, a lot of times uh, kind of, you know, go unnoticed until there is a problem. Uh, so I think it's important uh, to get the, the word out that, hey, even at a, in a crisis like we're dealing with with this pandemic, this work still needs to continue as well. Absolutely, Mike. It's uh, well put. Um, I think uh, the, the government uh, passed almost $20 billion worth of uh, uh, disaster funds last year uh, just for the flooding in, in uh, the upper Midwest. Uh, you add to that the, the costs that weren't raised, the, uh, the individual effects of, of farms uh, such as mine that didn't get a crop planted. Uh, what uh, what does that do overall? How does that affect uh, uh, the protected food supply that we've come to rely on as uh, as a nation moving forward? So we, we need to continue to work on that. Uh, we can help improve the water quality, the air quality, and you know, obviously, I think some of the things that we're uh, uh, really eliminating now is the effect of, of conservation programs on our ability to uh, uh, affect air quality and sequester carbon dioxide. Yeah, helping us be more productive for the future. Real quick, Tim, uh, before I let you go, I wanted to get your reaction, your thoughts on the, the number of acres. I think over three million that have been accepted to CRP. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, what a great, uh, what a great number! Uh, you know, we've been backing down on CRP for years. Uh, um, this is going to give us an opportunity to get some of that, that, uh, that highly uh, with the rankings. Those are going to be. Um, targets, uh, targeted parcels that'll that'll do the most for uh, resource protection. Uh, the, the the maybe some of the areas that aren't the most productive. Uh, matter of fact, there's even a special program that's part of the CRP that's still under that's still opened up for uh, income protections and soil health. And and as we move through those, we're going to be able to target those uh, those CRP acres to where they're going to be the most good for holding soil, for uh, keeping our water clean downstream. Uh, infiltrating more water as they as it uh, hits the landscape and and uh, get the multitude of benefits. All right, Tim. Good to talk with you. Important topics, and uh, appreciate you being with us. Stay safe. Thank you. All right. Thanks for the thanks for the time, Mike. Have a great day. Take, you too. Take care. Tim Palmer, president of the National Association of Conservation Districts. Up next, we focus on the pork industry. Talked about this yesterday, uh, how hard hit they are with these uh, packing plants being closed. Well, the impact of COVID-19 causing some uh, hog values, causing hog values to plummet. And there are estimates that pork producers nationwide could face a loss of five billion with a B five billion dollars this year. We're going to talk about that with a past president of the National Pork Producers Council next on AOA.
heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. <sighs> Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. If you were with us yesterday, we talked about the situation facing the pork industry when we talked with Steve Meyer, economist with Kearns and Associates. I want to follow up on that today, give you even some more perspective on what pork producers are facing right now. Joining us is David Herring, past president of the National Pork Producers Council. David, hope you're well. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Mike. Good morning. Extremely tough times for the pork industry. Uh, kind of outline for us uh, what's happening with uh, the, some of these packing plants closing down and, and the situation for producers uh, faced with some tough decisions and, and some uh, difficult uh, issues as you know, on top of uh, uh, below price, you know, prices below what they would be hoping for right now uh, and what to do with their hogs in some cases. Uh, kind of give us an overview of where we're at. Well, Mike, first I'd like to preface, I just hope everybody's being safe and healthy out there, but uh, there is tremendous challenge within the industry today. Uh, uh, with COVID-19 has uh, created more and more challenges, uh, basically we have a, a large supply of pork in the United States. Uh, our shackle space was already pretty much running at capacity. Uh, with the shutdown across the country, we have lost our food service industry, which uh, equates to about 25% of all pork sold. So with the loss of the food service, we have uh, 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 pork backing up in the chain, and we've also seen plant interruptions because of workers uh, um, getting the virus. And... Uh, with the plant disruptions, uh, we're seeing uh, um, a lot more animals than, than we can get harvested. And when that happens, um, price goes down. Over the last mm -hmm. 10 days, the cash market and the cutout market has just been decimated. Uh, we were predicted uh, at the first of the year, it looked like on average uh, producers could make $10 per head. That has evaporated in the last two weeks. As of last Friday, most producers were probably losing 40 to 50 bucks per head, and the market's uh, continuing to decrease this week. So it's just not a good situation. So we have seen the number. I mentioned it earlier that the industry could lose as much as $5 billion this year. Is that right? Uh, yes. Based off... Uh, uh, an economist from Iowa State, Dermot Hayes, he, he's looking at that, that it could be a loss of, on average, about $37 per head uh, on each animal produced, and that equates to about $5 billion. So there is blood on the floor in the pork industry today, and it's just a bad situation. So you have producers faced with not only low prices, but in some cases, nowhere to go with their hogs. Yes, you know, when when you breed an animal, uh, uh, when you breed a sow, 
it's basically 11 months before an animal is ready to harvest. Uh, we're a little different than some of the other species, and we just it's there's not a lot of elasticity. Uh, so the pork industry is very efficient. You know, animals are are born every day, and animals are sold every day. And uh, when you have to make a decision. Like today, if I was breeding animals today, those animals wouldn't go to market till probably March of next year. Um, it, there's so many pigs in the pipeline, and as harvest capacity decreases, it's causing a lot of problems in some areas uh, uh, for animals backing up on the farm. So um, it's just... Uh, uh, it's creating a, the supply chain has is, is, is had a lot of disruptions, um, not only with uh, uh, live animals, but also finished product going out. Uh, you know, basically with losing the food service industry or a majority of the industry, we have been over the last three and a half to four weeks producing about 450 to 470,000 animals a day or harvesting that many that really don't have a home for that finished product. I mentioned this earlier. A lot of people are very concerned with, with what they're seeing and hearing right now, and they don't understand uh, what you just explained about the supply chain. Uh, what they're seeing is uh, in the news stories about people going hungry, people can't get food, and at the same time they're hearing about uh, whether it's pork or milk or whatever it may be, uh, products, food being destroyed because uh, they can't get it out, producers can't sell it or can't get it to where it needs to go. And, and consumers look at those two images and say, this can't be. How can these two things be happening at the same time? Uh, so I think a, a lot of people are, are starting to realize all those steps in between, what goes into a into that supply chain, that food chain, and when you have problems in there, you wind up with these issues that you've just described. Well, you're, you're exactly right, Mike. I mean, uh, we, we're living in a time today, uh, and we've been enjoying it for the last several years, that food costs is the lowest it has ever been in the history of this country. And one of the reasons that is is the industry is so efficient from the farm all the way t through to the consumer. Unfortunately, that efficiency does not create a lot of elasticity. So even though, and I want our, your listeners to understand, there's plenty of pork out there, but there's disruptions in the chain. It could be in a trucking situation, it could be in a distribution situation, or even in areas like uh, where Smithfield had to close the plant in Sioux Falls, it could even be uh, in the harvest situation. So uh, there's a lot of uh, things that are happening that are causing these disruptions. We're talking with David Herring, past president of the National Pork Producers Council. So, David, uh, the pork industry, like many other areas of agriculture, are reaching out uh, in touch with USDA, seeking assistance, uh, making recommendations. What does the pork industry need to get through this time? Well, first and foremost, what we've been uh, communicating to USDA and Secretary Purdue is uh, we'd like to see uh, USDA step in and purchase uh, maybe a billion dollars worth of pork to help get this glutton of pork pulled through the chain. Uh, it could go out to the food banks. It could go out to needy uh, uh, other organizations because there is a lot of people that have food insecurity today through COVID-19 or caused by COVID-19. Uh, our other ask would be to 
create a program that would give direct payments or equitable direct payments to producers because we need some stability in the cash market. Uh, it is just decimated right now. And if we can get some stability into to help sure up the cash market, I think, it, and, and get us through uh, this pandemic, uh, people can make wise decisions. But right now, uh, I'm really worried that um, – we're going to continue to see markets decrease, and uh, it, it, it sends a ripple throughout uh, all sectors of ag, and, and especially into our lender, lender base, and uh, we need some stability on the cash market. So that's another ask, uh, direct payments to producers to help shore up that side of it. And we also need... Uh, um, the SBA or Small Business Association loans, uh, ag was, uh, ex uh, didn't fall under that. So we've got about 10,000 families out there that, or pork producers that need access to some, some type of bridge loan to help them get through this crisis. David, uh, for those of us that remember uh, what happened in the late 90s to the pork industry, the crash and the just a total change in the industry because of the, what happened back then with prices and the whole market situation, is this similar to that? Uh, it is very similar, and it has the potential to be a lot worse. Uh, you know, I think everybody in the country, uh, I mean, like I started out, I want everybody to be safe and healthy. Um, but we really need to get back to work. Uh, and I think everybody wants to get back to work and get things back to normal. And uh, it's a situation today where uh, I, I've not ever experienced it in my uh, life or in my business, and uh, you know, basically, with the government, uh, with the country shut down, uh, I can typically manage my business, but it is uh, creating obstacles that are unmanageable for not only me, but I'm sure a lot of other pork families out there and and agriculture as a whole. Yeah, it's it's not completely the same as the late '90s, but yet. The impact, the negative impact, even the devastation of the industry is as great or maybe, as you said, maybe even greater. It could be. The longer this uh, shutdown goes, it, it's just going to exacerbate all the uh, problems that we're facing today. All right, David, thank you for being with us and uh, calling our attention to this issue. Hopefully uh, some help is coming from USDA and uh, as they look at some of those recommendations your industry has made, and we'll see what they come up with. Thank you very much for being with us. Take care. Thank you, Mike. You have a good day. You too. David Herring, past president of the National Pork Producers Council. You heard him say, I mean, the industry could lose as much as $5 billion this year. It's not that we have a, a lack of uh, pork. That's not the case. But we, the supply chain, the food chain is... Uh, is under uh, great stress and moving that product getting the animals harvested and processed getting that product out to the those who need it that's where the issue lies right now and in the meantime prices plummeting and producers are are really really hurting well the ethanol industry can relate to prices plummeting and lack of in their case a lack of demand because people just aren't driving the ethanol industry is really really hurting maybe the worst crisis it's ever seen we'll talk about that next with jeff cooper president and ceo of the renewable fuels association stay with us you're listening to aoa adams on agriculture 
Farmers can't choose the weather, trade policy, or market prices. But they can choose the most advanced dicamba with confidence. Ingenia Herbicide has the lowest volatility of all dicamba salts for more successful on-target applications. And it's straight from the dicamba experts, BASF. So make the confident choice for your soybean crop. Talk to your BASF rep or authorized retailer. Ingenia Herbicide is a U.S. EPA restricted-use pesticide. Additional state restrictions may apply. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Okay, so we've been talking about the situation with dairy, with pork, with beef. In those situations, there's plenty of supply and there is demand. The problem is uh, the chain in between and being able to get the the product to, to the people who need it. That's why we wind up with food shortages on one end and uh, producers having to destroy uh, product on the other end and trying to work that out, get that chain going again. Now, for the ethanol industry, uh, there's plenty of supply there, too. But the problem is on the demand side, we're not driving right now during COVID-19 and the, and the lockdown or the shutdown of the economy. Let's talk about this with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, thanks for being with us. I, I was thinking about this. I, I've covered this industry since it was gas a hall in the late 70s. I've seen a lot of ups yep. and downs, some big ups and big downs. But to me, this is the biggest down the industry's ever faced. Uh, would you agree with that? Oh, I think without question, Mike, we've never seen anything close to this. I mean, we've got half of the industry uh, offline today, uh, and it's and it's happened very rapidly. Just within the last six to eight weeks, we've seen uh, about 8 billion gallons of capacity come offline. Wow, it's just, it's just hard to comprehend that. Um, what assistance would you like to see the government be able to provide the uh, renewable fuels industry? Well, Mike, we, we're looking at a couple of things. Uh, n- number one, uh, for all of our member companies, is retaining their workforce. Uh, you know, they've invested a lot of, of uh, time and, and energy and, and resources into uh, their employee, employees. Uh, these are highly skilled, highly trained workers. Uh, the industry supports about 350,000 jobs. Uh, so job number one is, is maintaining that workforce. And, and so, you know, some of the Small Business Administration loan programs that came out in the CARES Act and, and specifically the pay, uh, Paycheck Protection Program, uh, those those programs have been helpful, I think, in in uh, assisting our companies, uh, you know, continue to cover payroll and, and wages and benefits to some extent. Uh, but but uh, there's only you know so much uh, resource available there, and and uh, we're greatly concerned that uh, the longer this uh, pandemic stretches on, um, you know, if that's going to be enough to to, to keep uh, the workforce uh, close to these facilities. Uh, but beyond that, you know, really, Mike, when the, when the market turns a corner and people start driving again and, and ethanol demand starts to pick up, uh, we want our plants to be in a position to respond quickly and to ramp up production and to start buying corn again. Uh, and the problem we have now is is most of these facilities have burned through their cash. There's, there's no cash flow. So even if things uh, turn around tomorrow, uh, and demand starts to pick up, we've got a number of facilities that are not in a position uh, to start buying uh, uh, corn and other inputs needed to, to ramp up quickly. So uh, we have asked USDA to 
strongly consider using some some resources from the CCC uh, to help uh, you know help the ethanol industry get back on its feet and start buying corn again when uh, when this market turns a corner and and demand starts to pick up. I think you make a good point, and we're all. This is becoming painfully aware to all of us. I think that this just the economy just isn't going to restart overnight. It's just not like you flip a switch or somebody doesn't just say America starts yeah. your engines and everybody goes. It's going to be a process, and it's going to take a while. Meanwhile, uh, you mentioned the, the the plants have burned through their their cash reserves, but at the meantime, they they have are probably full on their storage capacity of ethanol in many cases, aren't they? Well, that, that's exactly right, Mike, and you described the problem very well. Um, we we have ample supply. In fact, we have record ethanol stocks. Uh, the EIA just put out their, their weekly data about 20 minutes ago, and it shows stocks at an all-time high. Even though we've greatly reduced ethanol output, we're still adding to our stocks 27.5 million barrels of ethanol in storage um, I think a lot of people in the marketplace didn't even know we had that sort of storage for, for ethanol. Um, so we are plumb full. There's nowhere else to go with product, which is why you've got plants um, shutting down left and right. Um, you know, again, we've got capacity to produce about 17 billion gallons a year of ethanol. Last week, we were running at a rate of about 8.7 billion gallons uh, of capacity. So, you know, this is an industry that's used to uh, grinding about five and a half billion bushels of corn a year. Uh, last week, we were at a rate, an annualized rate of about three billion bushels. So, um, obviously, this is uh, the the impacts of this crisis are really rippling across uh, the, the the farm economy. Meanwhile, Jeff, I saw something where EPA is considering making some uh, adjustments to the RFS. So, what's going on there? Well, the the, the changes that uh, EPA is is proposing really have more to do with uh, the reformulated gasoline program. And, you know, really what they put out uh, earlier this week is, is a proposal to, to clean up lots of uh, outdated uh, pieces of their fuel regulations. Um, I mean, a lot of these regulations are 30 or 35 years old. Uh, things have changed significantly since then. So, so this proposal from EPA is very technical in nature. Um, it's, it's, you know, deleting little sections and adding new ones to just kind of clean up and modernize a lot of their fuel regulations. Uh, we don't think it's going to have a lot of impact on uh, ethanol or, or on the RFS. There's really no changes proposed to the renewable fuel standard. Um, in fact, there may be a few things in, in this proposal that would actually help uh, the ethanol industry by reducing some, some regulatory burdens and, and uh, you know, cost burdens. So, uh, we are looking at that. It's a you know close to 600-page proposed rule, so we're still thumbing okay. through that, uh, making sure we don't miss anything. Real quick, Jeff. Again, uh, we want to uh, acknowledge and, and thank the ethanol plants that are helping provide us with hand sanitizer. Well, you know, Mike, I, it's been an incredibly uh, inspiring thing to see the ethanol facilities, you know, that are suffering the consequences of this pandemic and, and the loss of their fuel market. Um, switching to making hand sanitizer. And, and a lot of these facilities are donating that product uh, to local first responders and, and hospitals, which is, you know, just the right thing to do yep. and I think really speaks volumes about the people who work in this industry. Sure does. We appreciate their help. Jeff, good to talk with you. Take care. Thanks. All right. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. That wraps it up for today. Stay safe. Join us again tomorrow right here on AOA. 
Weeds want to restrict your freedom and crush the spirit of your soybeans. Never fear. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of superior weed control is here with Liberty Herbicide. Stand proud with greater application flexibility, unmatched convenience, and excellent performance combined with the Liberty Link, Liberty Link GT27, and Enlist E3 trait systems. And it has no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Talk with your BASF rep or authorized retailer about Liberty Herbicide. Always read and follow label directions.